Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, this is Chris Fetters of Dogman.com. And, uh, you know, doing the quarantine thing, doing the isolation thing, trying to, you know, trying to make sure that we get out of this thing healthy and safe. And uh, one of the guys that's helping us in our draft day coverage leading up to all good things with the NFL draft is uh, our pal Rob Rang, uh, you know, who's been doing this, boy, about as long as I've been covering Washington football. Dang, dang near 20 years now. One of the one of the top guys out there in terms of the draft scouts, and the beautiful part about Rob is that he's local. He's a South Puget Sound guy, and uh, typically we'd be catching up at UW Junior Day every every year, as as maybe a lot of people would know. We would catch up and we would break down all the different guys, and he would talk about the different players in each draft class for the Huskies and and whatnot. But now we're having to do this thing remotely, a little virtual draft scout uh, chat. With Rob and, I, and Rob, I really appreciate you checking in with us and and um, talking a little bit about this stuff. And first, just don't want to dwell on it too much, but uh, in your life right now as a draft scout, with this thing only a couple of weeks away, how has the the development with the with the pandemic and and everything else affected your kind of day to day existence leading into the draft? Well, it, and first off, thank you so much, Chris, for having me as always. And yes, I absolutely would have greatly preferred if we were meeting at the, the UW Pro Day. Um, you know, that's always been such a, a great opportunity to kind of connect with you and, and the rest of the local University of Washington, Seattle media and, and, and the prospects, obviously, the scouts that are there. Um, and, and just because I think that the University of Washington does a terrific job of growing their program. And um, you know, it would have been fascinating to see that transition from Chris Peterson to Jimmy lake uh you know at least one of the very few first public opportunities to do so so i would have loved that and the fact that the university of washington has so many great prospects that i think that um it, it would have been a very very well attended uh you know pro day workout from an nfl perspective all of that said everything is is changed now obviously with with the coronavirus and the way things are and we're all kind of locked into our own rooms it's given me certainly Plenty of opportunity to watch more players on tape, um, but at the same time, a big part of, of my process is seeing these people with my own eyes. Uh, you know, that's why I go to the Senior Bowl and and go to as many games as I as I do over the fall, uh, just to kind of get a feel for the prospects themselves. Not only in terms of just their physical talents, but in terms of just who they are as as young men um, and how they, uh, you know, how they associate who they associate themselves with and how do they carry themselves throughout that whole process. So it's very much been a change for me. Uh, at the same time, having conversations with the NFL scouts, and obviously it's been a very, very big change for them. So in many ways, I think that this 2020 NFL draft is going to wind up being one of the more fascinating things. Obviously, it's one of the few things going on in sports, but now with all of the attention and, and all of the changes in terms of technology and having to draft you know, remotely and all that, I think that there could be some, uh, you know, some kind of comical mistakes and things that, that happen that just kind of show that we're all human. We're all at the mercy of this. 
and and we're all kind of at the same time very much in this together. One thing I was curious about, Rob, was what's the what do you think the biggest ripple effect is going to be with there being no very very few pro days with the in person scouting be so being so curtailed uh, in the in the wake of what's going on with the with the pandemic and and how maybe guys are going to have to rely on tape more or guys that have had firsthand perspective. Because, like, for instance, you talk about trying to get to as many games as possible, and I'll ask a little bit down the road about one particular game I know you saw last year, the game at Husky Stadium between Oregon and Washington, where you were able to see all sorts of guys. So what do you think, when when it all comes down to it, yeah, there's probably going to be a few gaffes, and this whole virtual draft type thing, is it almost feels like it's a fantasy draft in some weird ways. But how do you feel like it's going to really play out in terms of some changes that people could see that might actually be substantial? Well, you know, I I don't know there's going to be a lot of changes that we can see other than obviously everything's going to be virtual in terms of the players going up to meet the, you know, the – um, the commissioner and, and all of those things. Uh, you're not going to hear the, the, the crowd in the background chanting J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 like you normally do. Or this case, obviously, would have been in Las Vegas with the Raiders. And, you know, and so all those things are unfortunate. In terms of the, the real adjustments, I think you're going to see less trades. Uh, just, you know, it's going to take more time uh, to have those conversations between the scouts, the general managers and coaches, who are, of course, all in their own individual houses or homes or whatever. And, uh, you know, and so they're going to have to be able to communicate quickly while trying to negotiate with other teams in terms of trades. So I think that you're going to see less trades, in my opinion, especially as the draft goes. Um, then I, I think you're going to see, unfortunately, a lot of players who either had, uh, you know, character red flags or medical red flags, especially the medical uh, it, teams, of course, had an opportunity to evaluate a lot of these players at the combine with their doctors. But every year, Chris, there's the, the combine recheck where there's 30, 35 players who are asked to, to fly back to Indianapolis for just to give the NFL teams a little bit more of an update on, on where players are at and their recovery from injuries. And, and that was uh, deemed in, in basically impossible this year by the NFL. They opened it up to players to have their individual uh, you know, medical evaluations with a third-party doc- third doctor. Excuse me, But NFL teams are not going to be investing million-dollar selections into players that their own doctors have not had an opportunity to, to evaluate properly. So I think you're going to see some, some really high-profile players that maybe have some medical issues that fall down the draft board a little bit. And then again, the, the ones who are going to be left out in the cold a little bit throughout this process are going to be the players that weren't invited to the combine at all. The, those sleepers that, that usually uh, start getting drafted around the 100th overall in the third, fourth rounds. I think you're going to see a lot of those players get drafted more in the sixth or seventh rounds. So that take on less you know, trades is interesting to me. Do you think that adversely affects a guy like John Schneider here in Seattle? I think it potentially does, yeah. Uh, just because you know Schneider and, and the Seahawks, of course, have had such a run of of trading back their selections uh, that I, I think that it, it could. At the same time, with Schneider specifically, because he does have such a track record of trading down, because he is kind of viewed by by so many people throughout the league and media. As 
being one of the more affable, personable people and, you know, a fair negotiator. I, I think that they, that the Seahawks have the, the relationships built with other teams throughout the NFL, um, that, that they are going to be one of the teams that they can still pull this off. And plus, I, I think that they're already doing this kind of work. I, I think that they're very much, uh, you know, exploring those different opportunities right now, rather than waiting until they're actually on the clock at number 27 overall. Well, Rob, I, I can't wait to hear the first "quote unquote" wardrobe malfunction to hit the <laughs> hit the trade hit the trade lines uh, during the draft for for all hell to break loose. But that's that's just the sadistic side of me. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Um, let's move on to UW specific. You know, I think a lot of people assume that Jacob Eason's going to get taken as the first Husky uh, obviously, I referenced that uh, Oregon-Washington game that you got to see last year where you got to see a ton of guys, including Eason and Justin Herbert, for instance. Um, you know, and Eason also put out a, like a 20-minute, uh, basically what would have been his pro day workout just like a week ago. Um, with all that being said and everything that he did in Indianapolis during the NFL Combine, do you think he's pretty firmly established in the minds of, of the NFL as to where he goes, or do you think he could be a bit of a bit of a wild card? I think that he is a little bit of a wild card, just because, of course, the quarterback position. Uh, the fact that, you know, frankly, I didn't think that Jacob Easton was as was as dominant during the workout portion of the combine uh, as I expected. I, I was uh, happy to see that he did have a, a, a pro day workout of sorts uh, recorded and distributed online into NFL teams. And, you know, not surprising that from the very start of, of that workout, he is showing off that elite arm strength. Uh, Jacob Eason has the strongest arm in this draft class. Uh, you know, there, there's other quarterbacks who are more polished, uh, you know, are more athletic, whatever the case might be. But in terms of just raw physical tools, Eason is right there. And that's why the I and others have kind of touted him as a, as a likely first round caliber player. Now, you know, there are enough head scratching decisions, uh, you know, from Jacob Eason on, you know, on the field that, that some people are going to be scared off. Um, and I think that you're going to see some quarterbacks go early, including Justin Herbert. Um, I still think that Easton's got a chance to sneak into that late portion of the first round, um, especially because in a first round pick, teams have the option of using a fifth year on the rookie contract. And you don't get that option. It's only a four year maximum deal for every player selected in the second round on. And so teams, the players that, that play positions that usually get a lot of money on those second contracts, like quarterbacks, it make a lot of sense financially speaking for a team to trade back up in that late portion of the first round or select a young quarterback uh, at that point just because of the ability to kind of control that player contractually so uh, i think that easton is one of those candidates jordan love from utah state i certainly expect the other three quarterbacks uh joe burrow justin herbert Tua Tagovailoa, viola possibly in that order 
I think Tua and Herbert are going to be, uh, you know, neck and neck, so to speak, just because of the, the questions that each of them have. Again, Easton has the great upside. Um, he is viewed as a little bit more of a raw prospect that might need some time. And so that's why there's a lot of people out there who suggest that he's going to go in day two. I would be shocked if he somehow slid uh, past, say, the mid portion of the third round. And I personally have him rated as the number 31 overall ranked prospect. Of course, there's 32 picks in the first round. So I have him as a late round one guy. He is my fourth-rated quarterback behind the three I mentioned before, Burrow, Tua, and Herbert. So one of the guys that I think, or at least to me, is the most intriguing out of this UW draft class is Hunter Bryant, simply because he is he became kind of an instant matchup uh, problem in college. But how much of that, in your opinion, translates to the NFL and do you think he's one of those guys that could actually be a better NFL player than a college player? I think that's a possibility. I, I really like Hunter Bryant's game. Um, you know, I, I like his game more than I like his frame. Uh, you know, 6'2", 248 pounds is not ideal for a tight end, especially for a guy who clocked in the mid four sevens in the 40-yard dash. He is not somebody who's going to run away. This isn't George Kittle for the 49ers and guys that are going to, you know, really be that seam threat that can catch the pass and, and then run away from people with their straight line speed. But at the same time, this is not a very good tight end class. And I don't know if there's anybody who has the, just the natural hands uh, that, that Hunter Bryant has flashed. And I say flashed because, of course, there's some drops on tape as well, but there's some incredible one-handed grabs especially against elite competition as well. And so I think that the way that the NFL is going is there's so many really good pass rushers and, and the, the smart teams are getting the, hand, the ball into the hands of their playmakers as quickly as possible. I think that that really sets up well for players like Hunter Bryant, uh, tight end position running backs as well, that can catch the ball and, and, and make somebody miss or, or barrel through a defender. Hunter Bryant has that physicality, has a little bit of agility, has a little bit of speed to him. He just isn't elite to any of those things except as I mentioned for hands in my opinion so I have Hunter Bryant as a third to fourth round pick uh, I think that he's going to wind up being a very very solid player uh, for an NFL team if selected around, around that spot I just don't necessarily see him as being the, the future Pro Bowl kind of caliber player that, that maybe some thought based on, on some of the big plays that he had for the Huskies okay another guy that to me, at least looking at the various mocks, looking at the draft scouts like yourself and, and kind of getting a feel for how they've analyzed not just their tape, but maybe what they did after their season, senior seasons, for instance, or junior seasons, is Savon Ahmed. Um, I don't know if he's getting pigeonholed as kind of this one one hit wonder that that's just a speed guy or is just an outside guy. I, I know the NFL coaches at the combine were hoping that maybe they could even see him work out a little bit at receiver. So what's your take on Savon and, and where could you see him landing? Cause I, I feel like he's almost one of the big enigmas of this draft class. He is. And I believe that Ahmed was one of those players that, that maybe lost as much throughout this combine process in the lack of a pro day as any player in the entire country, uh, given that, that he just didn't work out as well as expected. Uh, you know, when, when you are a back that uh, is under 200 pounds and you want to get drafted early in the NFL, you got to run fast in 4.62 seconds. Even though he was heavier than uh, I think a lot of the scouts expected, certainly in the I was expect after being listed more in that mid 180 pound kind of a range and to come in right under 200 pounds 
Uh, you know, I think that that extra weight is encouraging. At the same time, you're taking away something that, I, in my opinion, is what made Ahmed special. Um, is in terms of that that, that straight line speed that uh, those hands, as you as you mentioned, that you know, there's some teams out there who are very intrigued by him as uh, you know either being a, a a possible receiver conversion, a return man, um, or just catching more passes out of the backfield than he did at the University of Washington. I I believe that. Uh, that Savon Ackman is a much faster player on the field than that 40-yard dash indicates. I think anybody who watched him at University of Washington would, would also believe that. But at the same time, this is a pretty good running back class. So I think with Ackman, we're talking about late day three at this point. Uh, I believe if he loses a little bit of that weight and ha- regains some of that, that, that quickness and that explosive uh, breakaway speed, then he could wind up being a real steal. We talked about that before with Hunter Bryant, about a player who might be a better pro than he was in college. I think the Ahmed has the opportunity to possibly be that. I don't think that he necessarily is going to be your, your bell cow runner, but I think that he gives you juice um, as a as a five to ten uh, play kind of a guy as a return man receiver and running back, and that's exactly what teams are looking for in those late rounds. Um, speaking of a guy that kind of did the opposite a little bit in terms of you know taking advantage of his situation in Indianapolis was Nick Harris. Um, it mm-hmm. felt like now again we may be looking at a very small center class, those types of things, quality maybe at a premium. But it sure felt like watching the coverage on NFL, on the NFL Network. It felt like they were really lauding Nick Harris and some of the things that he was doing, not just physically, but technique, footwork, all that kind of stuff. Ultimately, where do you feel like a guy like Nick Harris ends up? Well, I have Nick Harris as my fifth-rated center, um, as the 125th overall-ranked prospect. That's got him in the fourth round. I think that because he's built the way he is, 6'1", 293 pounds, and it's not the, you know, from an athletic standpoint, it's not the most impressive 6'1", 293 pounds that you've ever seen out there. But damn, Nick Harris is a good football player. I mean, his quickness, his strength. Uh, his intelligence, um, his technique, as you mentioned, um, you know, having watched him not only in person at University of Washington against Oregon and, uh, you know, as you mentioned, some of the other games that I've watched against University of Washington here in recent years, um, Utah and Stanford, some of the other teams that are more known for having physical um, line, you know, physical defensive lines than Oregon. And this didn't matter. Nick Harris was a very effective player for them. As I mentioned, because of the lack of the elite physical traits, that's one of the reasons why I do you think that there's going to be a number of centers that are selected earlier than him. This is a pretty strong center class, but I really believe that Nick Harris is a future starter in the NFL. I think there's a very similar type of uh, of game to uh, to a guy that the Seahawks have as their as the current backup Joey Hunt, who I think stepped in and put, did a serviceable job for the Seahawks once uh, once their star Justin Britt got hurt. Joey Hunt was a seventh-round pick, and I could see something happening like that with, uh, with, with Nick Harris. I'm sliding all the way into day three, but I really believe that some team is going to find themselves a steal there. And that's not just my opinion, as you talked about, Chris, the, the, the NFL Network and, and their commentators, as well as Jim Nagy, the, uh, the Senior Bowl Executive Director, former scout with the Seahawks, the Patriots, number of teams. He really believes that Nick Harris is a future starter in the NFL as well. And, uh, you know, again, I, I think that he is one of those players that – it may be being a little bit uh, you know, underrated from a national perspective until he joins the NFL team. And he's going to wind up being one of the, one of the, one of the, that fan base's favorite players on the club. I also remember, Rob, um, reading some of the I – mean, I don't remember if it was day one, day two. I don't remember when the receivers worked out. It, it, I think it was day one. And um, 
you know, that I think it was da- I think it was Daniel Jeremiah actually from the NFL Network that was really singing the praises of Aaron Fuller, which I, I I can just see Washington fans' heads exploding at this point, going where where are they coming from? What are they seeing? Did you see some things with Fuller in his workout and and and, and maybe going forward that gives you some some maybe some optimism if you were looking at it from a Washington point of view that that uh, the NFL guys see something in the senior wide receiver that that uh, gives him hope that he can do some things in the NFL? Yeah, I, I think that you watch some of those t- – there's flashes. I mean this, this is a University of Washington program that has just sent players at, at every single position into the NFL in recent years and obviously several of them at the wide receiver position. I, I've not – you know, throughout my time, I have not believed that Aaron Fuller was a was a guaranteed draftable commodity. I still do not believe that he's a guaranteed draftable commodity. He helped himself. Uh, you, you mentioned the All Star games. That was not the Senior Bowl. I believe it's either the East West Shrine or the NFL PA game. Neither of which I actually attended myself. But there was some buzz about him online um, in terms of just how how crisp his routes were. Uh, at the same time, five foot eleven, 188 pounds, doesn't have extraordinary length. We all know that there's been some times where there was some drops out there. Uh, you know, 4.59 seconds at that height is, is not a, a, a terrific time. Better than the three-cone drill. Showed some quickness there, um, as I kind of mentioned before, with the route running acumen. So there, there's some, some things there intriguing about him, but at the same time, I think we're talking about late uh, late day three, um, more likely undrafted free agent. And part of the reason why is not has nothing to do with Aaron Fuller. It has to do with the fact that this is an extraordinary receiver class. And so it's going to push some of these guys who are a little bit kind of tweeners. It may push them completely out of the draft. Is there a comp to him, Rob? Is there someone out there that Washington fans could look at and go, well, maybe he could become that kind of guy in the league? Well, I think that what you're hoping for is to be a bit of a slot receiver. Uh, you know, to me, one of the, the great slot receivers in, in you know in Seahawk local history, of course, is Doug Baldwin. Just the toughness that he demonstrated, almost the exact same size. I believe yeah. that he was five eleven, one hundred eighty nine pounds. Right. Uh, you know, and Baldwin was in the was in the low four fives, high four fours. Also, of course, was known so much for his uh, his ability as a route runner. I just. I don't know that I've ever seen a receiver with possibly the exception of the, the Hall of Famer, Steve Largent, that had more reliable hands or toughness than Doug Baldwin. So Aaron Frilla has a similar size. He has similar quickness. He, he's going to have to definitely develop the, the strength and the, uh, um, you know, and just the reliability um, if he is going to warrant any type of mention with Doug Baldwin. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now, going back to your point about the medical recheck day back in Indianapolis, which I agree with 100%, I think that did affect a handful of guys. I'm wondering if Trey Adams is going to be one of those guys specifically. I mean, we're talking about a guy during the combine. If you know, refresh my memory, but I think he ran the slowest 40 time of anybody at the combine. Um, he just, it looked like he was, it didn't look like he was really fluid in his motion. I, I don't know how. F- you know, kind of those things were scouted. But with a guy like Trey, 
is he still kind of one of those one of those talents where you saw him before the injury, you know what he's capable when he can get back to 100%. Is that the way that NFL teams are kind of looking at him, and will the medical thing really, really impact him? I, I think that it could. I, I worry for Trey Adams because I think he's a really good football player who, if he had been given this, the same opportunities, if he had, you know, of course he was invited to the Senior Bowl but wasn't able to participate there due to medical concerns. Um, as you talked about, he, he did not have a very impressive uh, performance at the Combine um, in terms of his athletic testing. At the same time, while I believe that you're right, I believe that he was the slowest of the of the players in the 40-yard dash. I, I would just mention Orlando Brown uh, Jr., that the player that um, was All-American for the University of Oklahoma a few years back, and he also had a horrific showing in terms of athletic testing at the combine. Wound up slipping, uh, you know, into the middle rounds where the Baltimore Ravens got him. And since he's become a Pro Bowler for them, um, and so that that would be the caveat I would say is that if you ignore the tape. Um, and Trey Adams, of course, has some terrific tape over his career. If you ignore the tape and focus too much on these workouts, then you could wind up, you know, passing a really good player. Of course, the concern with Trey Adams is the durability. And so the fact that he came back this past season and was healthy all year long is, of course, very, very intriguing. Um, and the fact that Trey Adams was, in fact, at the combine and, and so the teams got their chance to to evaluate him. But if he was on that list of, of players that were going to be asked to go back to the combine for a medical recheck, then I feel strongly that, that, he, that he needs to make sure that he has some type of evaluation they can send to teams uh, because teams are going to be concerned. When you're talking about back, you're talking about knee, uh, all the, the variety of different injuries that the Adams had over his career – those are some pretty scary injuries. And like I mentioned before with Aaron Fuller, the receiver class, this is a terrific class of offensive tackles. I still have Trey Adams as very much a, a draftable commodity. I have him um, as my 12th overall offensive tackle, but that's still in the rounds three to four because this class is so good in my opinion. If he gets outside that third round, Chris, I think we could see him slide all the way at least into the fifth. The fifth round is normally the round where teams start being a little bit more willing to roll the dice. If he gets through the fifth, then I don't think that, that Trey Adams gets drafted at all. And then it's going to be all about teams are going to be trying to sign him as an undrafted free agent. And they probably are not going to be willing to do that until they get some type of a physical. And who knows when that's going to be. Wow. Well, with your insight, Rod, to how front offices react to all things related to the draft and what they see online and these types of things, and even now it's probably heightened to it to a whole different level, you see a video of a guy like Trey Adams working out at home, you know, by Wenatchee, Leavenworth area, and, and he's out there, you know, pushing the truck around and things like that. I mean, are these things that people should take seriously and are, in your perspective as an expert, are these things that the NFL takes seriously? I think that um, you, you take seriously that, that a young man is doing everything that he can to continue to be in shape, to continue to show that he's competitive. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't know how you would, um, you know, quantify pushing a truck. 
you know, as far as if yeah. this is going to move his draft stock up or whatever. But at the same time, again, again, it does show indication that, that he's taking this seriously. Uh, I think in the, in the case of Trey Adams, you know, as you mentioned with the Wenatchee roots and things like that, there's a there's a lot of NFL teams out there that couldn't pick out Wenatchee on a map. Uh, and so to, to show that he is doing this at home, he is being smart, he is protecting himself, um, but he's finding creative ways to continue to work out rather than having a coach or, or somebody else hounding him, I think is an indication of the, the intangibles that a player or a team would be getting if they, uh, if they brought in Trey Adams to their organization. Now we're going to wrap this thing up, Rob, with just a couple quick questions. First of all, the last guy that was at the combine in Indianapolis for Washington was, uh, you know, the nickelback, the extra defensive back, Miles Bryant, who obviously had a very distinguished career at Washington, but he's an undersized defensive back, had a solid, solid workout in Indianapolis, but didn't really flash, didn't really show one aspect of his game that was just, you know, really, really, really strong. Ultimately, how do you see the NFL viewing a guy like Miles Bryant? Well, that, that's the thing is that I personally believe that Miles Bryant is at his best as a nickel corner, which, of course, is what he played throughout a lot of his career. And then he, he moved to that safety position this past season. Uh, I saw some missed tackles on tape that are that are concerning. I love the instincts. Uh, you know, you you. you have some real questions about where a guy at his size is going to, to fit into the NFL. Again, the, the position I think that he fits in best is the nickel corner, um, you know, 5'8", 183 pounds. The, the one thing I would say that I would, I would disagree with you a little bit, Chris, as far as the workouts, I, I thought that – you know, I, would, I was hoping that he would have a faster 40-yard dash. Came in at 4.62 seconds. That's that, that's not great, but it doesn't it doesn't destroy you if you're quick enough. And that's really where Miles Bryant did stand out. Is in that three cone drill and, and smaller, shorter guys should excel in this drill. But he certainly did. 6.81 seconds is is one of the best three cone times, and that's the change of direction. That's the quickness. And so, as a nickel corner, you go up against those slot receivers, those Doug Baldwin's, those Aaron Fuller's, those you know West. Welkers of the world, that's your game. You're, you're not usually being asked to carry receivers all the way down the field for 20 yards. It's all about those quick those, those quick arrow routes and things like that. And he has that type of quickness. Again, he is instinctive. He is a good tackler. Um, and, and so n- normally a good tackler. I, I had some concerns about him way out in space coming downhill as a tackler. That's where I saw some missed tackles. Specifically, the Cal game is one game that if you want to watch, th- there were some mistakes by Bryant and a couple of other players, certainly for the Huskies in that game. But uh, I, I do think that he has the quickness that you're looking for, the instincts as well. I just see, again, late day three, possibly undrafted free agent, but a guy who I think can stick in the NFL. He just needs this opportunity. Okay. And finally, I wanted to ask about a couple guys that stayed at Washington that could have tested the waters, and that's defensive lineman Levi Onsarike and defensive back Elijah Molden. Both of those guys, see, all, all the offensive guys that, you know, whether it's Eason or, or Hunter Bryant, um, Savon Ahmed, all those guys decided to jump, but the two defensive guys decided to stay. Ultimately, in, in your opinion, did they make the right decision? Uh, you know, assuming, of course, that there is a college football season next year and that, um, you know, and, and those two players are, are able to maintain their health. 
I am very, very high on both of their NFL futures. Uh, Molden, I thought, was the most instinctive of Washington's defensive backs a year ago, and I did not expect to say that heading into the season. But you, you mentioned that that University of Washington Oregon game earlier this year. Uh, I thought that that Molden had some some spectacular plays in that game, where I thought that he read the quarterback Justin Herbert, obviously a first round caliber player, um, and and kind of jump some routes that forced Herbert to look elsewhere. And so the things that don't necessarily jump out on a, uh, you know, on a stat sheet, um, you know, but at the same time, watching it in person and not having to rely on just the TV angle, seeing, being able to see the entire field from the perspective of the Husky, uh, you know, press box really allowed me that opportunity. And, and so I mold as a player, I'm very, very high on, uh, I think that he's going to wind up being a, a really good football player. Washington's, uh, you know, just continued march, especially from defensive backs into the NFL, I think is in is in very good hands there with him. Uh, and then with Levi, I, I just I love the arm length, I love the strength, I love the quickness. I, I, he's a guy that I think is one of the better young defensive linemen in all the Pac-12. And so I think that he just is scratching the surface of his potential. If he had come out this year, I think that your possibility is a he's a top 100 player. But I think next year. Um, assuming everything goes the way that it could, we, we could be talking about top 50, maybe even a first round caliber player. I think the tools are there. I'm really excited to see what he can do. Justin or try on as well is another one who I think has the, the physical upside um, is really intriguing with a couple of these players. I think they're very much uh, NFL caliber prospects. Yeah, there's so much to look forward to in terms of the future, especially on that side of the ball with Washington. When you look at, you know, guys like Keith Taylor, and then, you know, you, you mentioned Molden, but then, you know, Trent uh, McDuffie, uh, Kyler Gordon, all sorts of guys. And then you've got the young defensive linemen, as you said, that uh, are coming through the ranks too. So, hey, Rob, we're going to let you go there. Uh, I know you got so much going on as you're getting closer and closer to the draft. But your insights on the Washington guys are always appreciated. And we really thank you for stepping in today and, and giving us your takes on all the guys that uh, could may may not get drafted but it'll be really really interested to see what happens uh down in las vegas when all this stuff gets going uh i think it's april 23rd correct it is yep so yep. just two weeks from from uh you know today's recording so i'm excited about that and uh thank you as always chris just for the opportunity and just to talk some ball it's a, it's a welcome distraction given everything that's going on in our world absolutely no so for rob rang this is chris fetters of dogman.com go dogs <laughs> Hello everyone, it's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search... The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.